Hello. Hi. And welcome back to another episode of Break Room Banter. It is a hairstylist adjacent podcast where each week, two friends who also happen to be hairstylists break down our weeks in the break room. I'm your host, Hunter Walden. And I am your hostess, Erica the Red. <laughs> and today our guest is an icon. A legend. Truly a legend. Uh, he is responsible for bringing balayage to the UK, if you can believe it. That's insane to me. Right. He's had a career that spanned over four continents. And three decades. No big deal. Um, and still in the salon today. We talked about his journey from UK to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about being an analog stylist versus the new digital stylist. How to stay relevant. How to stay relevant in an ever-changing mm-hmm. world. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode with... The one and only... Jack, Jack Howard. Howard. Woo! All right, Erica, you know we start every episode off with a peak and a pit. Do you want to start? I'll do my peak. All right. Um, Because I can't think of a pit just yet. My peak would be that, you know how I get my, like, these ideas in my head, and then I look and stare at my room, and I plan, and I plan, and I plan, and I think, and I change my mind, and I change my mind, and then eventually one day I will just, like, be like I can't fucking take this anymore and so that happened last night and I've had this a couple different wall like peel and stick wallpapers and my room is like all beige you know so I just couldn't fucking do it anymore it's like making me depressed so I was like I'm gonna put this wallpaper up right it's peel and stick super easy won't take long wipe down the wall put it up I got it done pretty fucking fast mm-hmm so then I decided to start painting. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. You guys, uh, I got it done in like four hours, though. The wallpaper and the paint. Dang. So go on my Instagram. You can see the video. And now that I am inspired, it's going to keep going. And I'm just going to start posting it all. You're going to do fairy lights. And it's going to be amazing. I don't really. Well, you know, one wall at a time. But mm, yeah, it'll be good. So I'm excited. I have those fairy lights in there already. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to put some, like, in your bed cove. Well, I was thinking about putting those, like, Edison backyard lights in there. Like, but I didn't want... That's too much light in that little cove. So, I did paint the wall, but I want to paint the ceiling. Ooh. Because, you know, the walls have that... The walls have that gray brick on them. So, I'm going to paint the ceiling to, like... It's going to look good. It's going to, like, bring that line back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of the black. And I was, like, trying to figure out if there's some way that I can get, like, twinkle light star constellation. I'm sure To you put can. on there. Like, I'm sure that exists, you know? And if yeah. not, I'm going to figure out how to make it. Because I sure think that would be sick. With, like, glow paint. I didn't think about that because I was like, I don't want those cheesy ass like kids stars, you know? But glow paint wouldn't show show up until it's dark. Yeah. So when you turn the lights off, you have your constellations above you. I like that idea. Bradley's mom has that in her room. That works. Mm -hmm. That would work. Okay. So I have a peak 
that happens to be sitting on this table. Oh. But it ties together with my real peak. Okay. But the peak that's sitting on this table is that Erica and I, I think we talked about it on the podcast, but um, we did a photo shoot together. It's, wait, it's in the middle, bro. Oh, centerfolds, no yeah. big deal. Centerfold. Um, but Erica and I did the hair for this magazine um, shoot. And so that is my peak. It is in Nashville Lifestyles Wedding Edition. It is a collaboration with Olia Zavazina and the Conrad. In the Conrad Hotels, a Hilton brand. But my real peak mm-hmm. ties in with that magazine because I just so happened to get married this weekend. Oh, no big deal. I was like, Surprise. how does it tie in? Oh, yeah. Yay! Hunter's a married man now. Um, but yeah, so I got married this weekend. That is my my peak, my true peak. We eloped with just the family, mm-hmm. and it was on a beach with the ocean. I'm so excited to maybe. I cannot fucking wait to see the pictures. I cannot wait. Maybe by the time that this episode comes out, because mm-hmm. we're filming it like quite a bit in advance, maybe by then I'll have some pictures that I can just like sneak in mm-hmm. here for everybody to look at. But that's my peak. What's your pit? My pit would be that my arm is like starting to tingle again, which only means that I have to go and get a, mas- a massage. But I have new insurance, and so like... I mean, it is what it is. It's just it took them three visits last time to tell me that my insurance didn't cover it. So I got stuck with this big old bill, you know? Yeah. Which sucks. But I'm just irritated because I don't want to go there and, like, I mean, I'm going to deal with it anyways. It's just one of those, you know, that's <laughs> my pay. Money, Normal so life adult there. stuff. No, yeah. I don't owe them money. I paid it. But it's like, oh. I just don't want to have have that shit happen again because it is annoying when i'm not planning on dropping like it's like 125 dollars an hour and i have like three massages so it's like not the worst thing in the world but it's annoying yeah you know it's an inconvenience kind of like emily with her car the other last week she was like i mean yeah it's fucking annoying when you're just like ew six hundred dollars no i don't want to spend that right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you have to um okay that's my pet oh my pet what is it? Poppy is in heat. I know. Oh. I know. I know. So she, we've kept, so for those of the you guys that don't know, I got a hairless cat about mm-hmm. six-ish months ago. First heat. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then shortly after that, like a couple weeks after, a client of mine said that she had got this really fancy cat that she couldn't have anymore. She was allergic to cats. The cat was supposed to be hypoallergenic. She couldn't have it anymore. She showed me a picture and I couldn't just, I just couldn't not Mm -hmm. take it. Biggest mistake ever. Um, Willing to admit that he was unfixed. He's a boy. I've never had a boy cat. I don't know if you know this. They're terrible. Um, I love boy kitties. How do you get them to not pee on things? I've never had a female in heat in the house with them at the same time. Oh, well. That is like pheromonal. Neither one of them are fixed. Like there's nothing you can really do about that. 
I mean, girl, he will pee on something and then rub himself in it. That makes sense to me why what happened the other week with the... Yeah. The other week, the cat peed on my keyboard. On my computer. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but. You can say it. Um, um, So I still need to get a new keyboard because it, st- the buttons are it still sticks. not all work- <laughs> working. And like I have to wash my hands profusely after I use my keyboard still, even though I cleaned it. You just can't. It's well, garbage yeah. now. I don't, there's not really anything you can do about that. You don't have to get rid of him or fix her. And well, actually he now that he started fixed. spraying. He'll still spray even if he's fixed. Will he really? Once he's once they have sprayed, you have to neuter a male cat if you're going to do it before they spray for the first time. Because once they like do start doing that behavior, even if you fix them later, they will still do it. Because it's mm-hmm. biologically in them. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Noted. Um, cool. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Jack Howard. We'll <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble, <laughs> Um, This is weird. I was just listening to you in my car, and now you're right in front of my face. <laughs> Here I am. What episode did you listen to? Um, Honestly, I don't know because I was driving, and it was on YouTube, so I didn't see the title. Um, But you were talking to the guy that worked with Dark and Lovely back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about natural curl formation, curl formations, right? So curls yeah, yeah, and yeah. coils. Yeah. Yeah. I that's I think that's the episode that I snuck a peek at this morning just to kind of see your vibe of your podcast. And uh I really liked the conversation that no, you I had with too. him. It was really cool how he was talking about um how he built a clientele was mm-hmm. going to like Yes, that was a good one because Victoria we Secret. talk about that all the time. Yeah. And so if you guys want to listen to more of that episode, go listen to the Jack Howard Color podcast. It's on YouTube. Are you on Spotify? It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's on okay. every platform you can do. And because now we film everything, right? So it's also yeah. you can watch it on YouTube and my website. So I yeah. love it. No, it was great. Great episode. Thank you. I enjoyed that conversation. I think that... Um, you know, race is a, a is a can be a difficult conversation for people to have. People feel awkward in it, and it's not that they're racist; it's just uncomfortable. But it's a conversation that we should be having. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, lots of people don't get taught how to look after curls or coils, um, and if you're not around curls and coils, you you don't you you don't feel comfortable all the time with it. It's not that you can't do hair. It's just you're used to doing a certain hair type. And so we have to have these uncomfortable moments to grow um, without, I would never go in and say I'm an expert in curls and coils, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not, but I am an expert in color. And I know, and I've got my color degree and all of that. I know how to color curly and coily hair. I just needed an updated language from it Mm -hmm. uh, so that I could go about it in a much more professional, modern way and communicate that. So I reach out to all my curl and coil specialists friends and I'm like how do you do this or how do you dress this I mean we're all here to help each other I mean that's the mm-hmm. great thing about social media but we have to to grow we have to feel uncomfortable and that could be awkward yes I love talking about hair Jack but one question that I do have to just kind of kick this off today is how are you how are you right now 
yourself? <laughs> oh my goodness. Right now, in this moment, I've got a smile on my face and I'm okay. I've got a really good friend in from uh, from England who I've known for, I think coming on 37 years, who's here for the holidays. It's been, it's been a tough year. I mean, my husband died, we were together 22 years. I don't feel particularly motivated. I feel splashed as a pancake. Some days I feel like I've been gutted. Other days I can smile and the passion can come to me and I just have to take it as it, it, it happens, you know? But thank you for asking. Well, so let's talk about um, your journey, I guess, into hairdressing. Did you always want to be a hairdresser? Was this a, like a, something you knew you wanted or is it something that you stumbled into more? I definitely stumbled into it. Um, I think it's really interesting to think that, I mean, it's 42 years since I started, um, that 42 years, here I am, still in it. Um, I left home at 16. Uh, you could in those days, obviously. I mean, it was like 100 years ago. And um, there was a, the opportunity was go work in an office, retail, um, or trade. And I thought trade and I'm, you know, I should have been a plumber or an electrician. I could have made an absolute fortune. Right. But I chose hairdressing and I've made good, I've made a very good living from it. So I, I went in and assisted. I'd been a Saturday boy, which in England is, was, I don't think they do anymore where you'd a Saturday job to earn some extra dollar, some pounds. And I shampoo and make coffees and sweep the floor and all of that. And I thought it was terribly glamorous with all these people that you'd never, I'd never seen before, you know? And, um, and so that's where I went. And, it, you know, straight off, people were really supportive and looked out for me. I mean, the older ones, the older women in the salon all sort of clucked around and bought me towels from my little apartment. And, you know, it's, there's always been community in hair. Um, I love that. And then I, I left and I, I went to London and I, I was running, you know, running away from life. Went to London and I sort of, I spent more time dancing on bar tops than I did really thinking about hairdressing. <laughs> Um, you know, as a country boy that got to the big city and I was like, wow. Um, but I was always busy in the salon. People seemed to be drawn to me, a nice bit of chat and okay colorist, okay hairdresser. And then I got offered this job in North America in 93 and I took it. And that's really when I saw the, the absolute brilliant commerciality of hairdressing and how the, the American hustle, you know, it's like if you, that column is your business doesn't matter whether you're employed or self-employed or whatever it is. And it's like, look at your day. And people showed, showed me how to maximize my time in the salon. And I started making really good money. And I was like, wow, the Americans have really got a grasp on this. And, um, and I, you know, ever since then, it's just been absolutely spectacular. I love that. So would you say there's a huge, well, maybe now not so much as things have gotten global lately, but back then there was a really big difference in European hair culture and hair. Well, I, I, I mean, we were part of the European Union, so I can say sort of, but it's definitely a British versus American experience for me. I mean, I have worked in Paris. I have done some stuff in around Europe, and but I can't really speak to their experiences. Yeah. Um, so England versus America back in the 90s, England uh, hairdressers didn't get paid a lot of money. They were expected to work super hard, but the commission rates were much lower. Um, but they got paid vacation, they got paid leave, paid maternity leave, all of those mm. things. America, no basic rate where I was working. It was pure cut of commission. But if you were if you were busy, you were, you knew that you and if you got busy, you knew you saw the difference 
in it. Mm. You know, the health insurance was taken out, the taxes were taken out because it was all, you know, employed. But there was a huge amount of money changed hands. And what we saw in with the rise of digital was that people, people in England, hairdressers in England, saw what how Americans were doing it, and were like, "Well, maybe I should be self-employed. Maybe I." And it was that that American filter that went to the UK, and people struck out on their own and realised that they could still pay their taxes and make much more money. Mm-hmm. And the salon owners, a lot of them, not all of them, and I don't want to bash them. But, you know, if you're driving a fancy car and living the big life and your staff aren't making enough money, to, you know, for a 40-hour week, there's something wrong there, right? The, yeah. It's like people should still be able to earn and look after their kids and their families and pay their mortgage without killing themselves and doing extra work afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what we saw with digital. I think it leveled and opened up the conversation. Yeah, yeah definitely. So I found an article that you were featured in from Denman and I I love the way that they worded your introduction. So um, it says your career spanned three decades and four continents. You're widely credited with bringing balayage to the UK and still a world leading innovator in the technique. Jack developed his own brand of education to share his knowledge. Today, he delivers his hugely popular courses to high-profile salons, as well as teaching thousands of colorists in color salons worldwide. So my question from that article is, spanning four continents, that that blows my mind uh, in itself. So is this something where you have built clientels in all of these different places that you've gone um, well, I've had a number of high profile roles in my career. Um, when I went back to the UK in 2009, 2010, everyone was very, it was very foil centric. I've been painting in the US for quite a long time. And there was an, op- there was an opportunity, all everything, all the stars aligned, if you believe in all that woo woo, and everything aligned. And I had fantastic trade press and I, None of the brands wanted to work with me because I was very Americanized. I had an American story and I did it independently because that's what Americans did. And I was like, they can do it. I can do it. And so I brought this American feel. I got the most fantastic press. I was in, I was in every magazine from Vogue to the sun, you know, which is like from one end of the spectrum to the other talking commercial hair color, which led to opportunities working in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, which led to brands wanting to work with me, which led to international roles. Um, so I had spent a gig in Paris working, which was really hard since I don't speak much French. Um, but I saw how this fantastic French colorist worked for like, I was there for two months working. Um, I had the American experience and I was British and it just, everything just came together really, really well. And so I got, uh, I ended up with a, an international role with L'Oreal Professional. And then I made a sideways move, but an upwards move to a smaller brand because L'Oreal Professional is number one worldwide. And I went with Schwarzkopf for a global role. So I sort of went across, but it went up slightly. <laughs> and I've just had these opportunities come my way. And I don't think, I think if I just sat and done nothing, they wouldn't have come my way. It was they, the brands obviously saw opportunity for themselves and they saw the fact that I could possibly help them grow as much as they could help me grow because it's a two-way street. And, um, you know, it was, it has been an absolute roller coaster of fantasticness. Um, there's a lot of hard work involved in it. And I, I come from a very pri- privileged position that my, my husband and I, we don't have any children. 
he was super successful career-wise. So when I wasn't making money, we have money. I have money in the bank from my American experience. I could take jobs and turn up and do loads of stuff for absolutely zero money. But I didn't have to run home and look after the kids. I didn't have to worry about money coming into the bank because it was already there. I mean, opportunities came my way, but I could also really hustle for them in ways that some people can't. Um, so I am thankful for I am thankful for my husband's support in my letting me grow my career to the level it got to. That's really cool because we've talked about how sometimes you have opportunities that come along and they're not necessarily paid opportunities, but they're opportunities that grow, you know, inspire you or creative or you make connections. And if you don't, if you have the time and the ability to go and do those things, you are hustling. Like, yes, it's not adding to your bank account, but it is furthering your career and keeping you inspired. It's a long-term goal versus Mm -hmm. a short-term goal. And if you're in a position where you don't have to think about the short-term goal necessarily, you can go off and do the long-term goals because, you know, there was a point before Instagram really blew up where, um, in the UK, the brands were doing content days where they would get some models in, you'd use new products, people would be filming it, and you'd learn stuff, but you didn't get paid for it. But you'd do trade shows and you didn't get paid for it. But you, your name got bigger. You could yeah. grow your brand in it. But not everyone can do that. And I think that at one point, I, that hadn't clicked for me. I just thought I was in such a bubble I just thought, well, if I do it, everyone can do it. And that's not the case at all. Um, and it's, I think that was quite humbling for me to sort of finally sort of see that, you know, not everyone can do it the way you do it, Jack. You are lucky. That's good to... I was going to say, I like that you pointed it out yeah. that that was your privilege. But it's it's cool that you had all of those experiences still. Um, you know, I'm not negating anything I've had. I'm just, right. what I, I want to do is just pre-phrase that with that I was, you know, super lucky that I could take those opportunities. I still had to work really bloody hard. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I didn't have three kids at home or two mm-hmm. kids or I wasn't a single mom or a single dad or, you know, I didn't have any of that worry um, yeah. that a lot of people in the world have every yeah. day. If you think about the domination in the industry by men, Mm-hmm. Or for a lot of the pre-Instagram, the domination of men, it was because men didn't have to stay home and look after the babies and the kids. And women, generally speaking, and I know, you know, we're not supposed to assign these roles, but the reality yeah. is most women have to look after the kids as well. And if you look at how American women in hairdressing work, you see that they do those early hours and they finish if they've got to get home to the kids at that two or three mark, but they're in at eight o'clock after they drop the kids off. They were bloody hard. I'm just, I like, I take my hat off to every single woman that works in this industry because they work so hard and so differently to how I, I've ever had to work. Mm-hmm. What I was, what I come into my mind is I was, I would say, you could say the ones that are there working for free sometimes are the ones that are there working the hardest behind the scenes. Oh yeah. Um, yes, working differently working differently um, and the opportunities are, are different that they're going to get. But not everybody wants to be a podcaster. Not everybody wants to build a product brand. Not everybody needs to build their brand for whatever reason. Some people, Sam Walmart used to say, you need a one-packer, a two-packer, and a three-packer. A one-packer, nine to five, right? Done. 
needs to get home um, or just wants to work nine to five and then the rest of their life is is important to them. A two packer occasionally can do a little bit of extra for you. That's great. And the three packer is somebody like me, multiple things going on. But if you had a room full of me's, it would be a nightmare. If you had a room full of one packers, it would be a nightmare. You need a mix of people. Mm-hmm. That is true. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different um, personalities in this industry, but that's what makes it good. And you do need that in like a team environment. Like you said, if you have a whole bunch of leaders in a room, it's not necessarily always easy. You need somebody that's going to settle back and help organize. So we need all of it. We need yeah, absolutely. Right? Workplace. Yeah, absolutely. So through all of that hard work that you've done, all the traveling that you've had to do or that you've gotten to do, what is something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started this journey, this global journey? Wow, that's difficult because everything, I don't think I'd change anything. Um, when we talk now about work-life balance uh, <laughs> and boundaries and stuff like that, I certainly didn't know what any of that was for the longest time. In fact, I had to ask somebody what work-life balance was in, in lockdown. I'm like, what is that? And they're like, that's <laughs> when, you know, it's, well, it's however you want to live your life, Jack. Because I think that I, there were, there were moments I, that I overdid it. I just pushed too hard. The fight in me was massive. But I let other things go, like I let my health go. I gained a lot of weight. I drank too much at one point. Um, and all of that showed in how I looked. And that made me miserable too. So, I mean, I was getting the success, but then I felt like I wanted to hide because, because I felt so uncomfortable in my physical sense. Uh, and I don't know why I stopped going to the gym. And I don't know why I would have that extra drink. And I don't know why I ate that extra pizza. And it was all stress management and all those things. Um, and I wish I'd been, I wish I'd known that I didn't need to do that, that I should have just sort of calmed down a little bit, but I wouldn't be here. Um, and so, you know, all of it is learning. And one of the things that I love about the industry, our industry is the fact that there is the opportunity to learn all the way through it. And I feel like for a boy that grew up in an analog world to a man that is digital and analog, I've done all right. And there have been Mm -hmm. lots of life lessons along the way. Yeah, that's true. I remember the salon before Instagram and like you said, analog, it's, it was very different. I did go out and hand out my business cards to get clients and meet people out at bars and all those things you had to do. Had to do all of that. I remember trying to do, um, had to do a test piece when I was in London and I had to give out cards at Victoria train station to try and get people to come and be a model uh-huh. with, an unknown, <laughs> with an unknown hairdresser. Right? And everyone's like, what? No, thanks. Um, but, you know, I mean, girlfriends would, you know, they'd be perming their hair at home or bleaching their mm. hair at home. Or, you know, you just picked up people in clubs to do. And it was different. Whereas now you don't necessarily have to do that. Um, but it still works. Yeah, it does. Um, what would you say is something that, like, maybe hairdressers that did start in the analog world maybe is there anything that you feel like maybe we learned that this younger generation of baby stylists aren't learning right out of school I mean it's a very different world they're coming into but yeah it's a very different world that that we're in 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we talk about 30 years ago or 20 yeah. years ago, one, I think there's two, there is a, it's a two-way street for us both to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest worry for me is that everyone talks about niching down. I didn't niche down until I was like 45, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I niched down into balayage. It worked really well for me. But if you're niching down when you come straight out of school, I personally believe that you're setting yourself up to fail eventually because you need the experience the physical experience to do all these things to figure out what you like what you don't like just because you like it now doesn't mean to say you'll like it in five years and just because you're a lived-in hair specialist well that's already dying right Mm -hmm. we know that it's been 20 years since I've been talking about lived-in hair if we're seeing it on tv and we're seeing it in every state in every small little village wherever it is it's done right eventually the next trend moves in. And if you can't paint to the root or you can't highlight to the root, you're in trouble um, because you've built a clientele around it and that clientele will move on to the next thing. So my hope is that young, younger hairdressers or newer people into the industry mm-hmm. don't need specialize straight away, that they are generalists, that they get a really good feel for what they don't like and what they do like. And it's not based on fear. It's based on that they just don't like it. Yeah. And for our older hairdressers, who are like, feel left behind. Uh, I think I'm living an example of that we don't need to be left behind. You can still go on camera, you need, yeah, find out your angle, you know, find out what works for you, but people wanna see (laughs) you. People wanna see older hairdressers, older men, older women living their best lives because Mm -hmm. it's something to look forward to. Um, So I think we both have lots to learn. And young people are really willing to show us older dogs how to do it but are we older dogs willing to show young people how to do it in a way in which they understand? I love that. That was a good answer. I love it though. It was great. No, seriously. Well, you answered the next question I had was what was something that the younger generation has taught you because now we're entering your arena. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, um, I was an analog educator. And so I realized at one point it was, uh, I was in London and I had an okay Instagram following, not, nothing spectacular by any standard. And I realized somebody actually said to me, somebody was trying to be mean to me and they said, you know, you're a dinosaur, but it sort of like hit me. I was like, oh, that was mean. And um, I thought, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. And what I realized was I needed to figure out how to do the digital stuff. And lots of young people have helped me Younger hairdressers have helped me um, as I've helped them and we've worked together and I got to understand lighting and I got to understand angles and phone and how to operate it. I could have easily just said, yeah, I am a dinosaur, you know, Um, but I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But they I had a brilliant assistant in London, um, John, John Alfred. I mean, just brilliant. He was so wanted it, whatever it is. He loves the industry. He wanted to be in London working. And he used to come on, I used to take him to every event and he worked so hard, but he met people, he filmed stuff, he got the lighting right, he was blow drying stuff for me. I mean, he was just brilliant. And to see him working so well in London now, just like, oh, that's really great. You know, he's doing all the models, he's getting all the press. It's just, and lovely. And hopefully he passes that on too, right? Yeah, I love that. So, okay, Jack. Who inspires you? Well, 
Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think that we all have, I think that the person that changed my, the course of my career twofold, it was the business that I worked in in the USA originally, um, because I, they said, go on a, a balayage course. And I'm like, balayage what? And they went, go on a, a hair painting course. You do this, this, and this with a bit of bleach and that's it. And I'm like, oh no, I'm an English colorist. I do beautiful foils. Well, that wasn't, that wouldn't have made me successful, right? It would have made, I could have carried on making good money, but I would have aged out. Um, but I went on that course and it was Nancy Braun who basically brought balayage com commercially and education to the USA. Um, and she worked for uh, Frederick Fakai in New York. Then she worked for L'Oreal and now she has a salon out. She still works for L'Oreal and she works, has a salon out in LA. And she's like the, the original for it. And going on her course and being mentored by her just changed my career. But then I also look at, there are moments that in in my career where I can see that somebody's heavily influencing me or inspiring me. And a lot of people are on Instagram are doing that with me still at this point. And even on TikTok, I see people, I'm like, wow, how do they do that? And I think it's at this point of the game for me, it's the nuances that can keep me relevant in my conversations that I'm picking up on rather than the big picture mm. inspirational game changes. And so every decade brings something, but it's it's different now to what it was then. I like how you said that because, I mean, I'm nowhere near, you know, doing hair as long as you've been doing, but I am at a point where I feel like I don't get inspired by the same things that I used to. And I guess I had never really thought about it like that, that you're going to have seasons almost kind of in your career where that inspiration is going to be coming from different sources. Cause maybe you're good in one area, but not so much in another. So industry is massive, right? It's not just yeah. about doing hair. There's how there's the art of a consultation There's mm -hmm. the art of the experience. There's, you know, there's foil work, there's painting work, there's yeah. retail stuff, how to sell better, how to set up your own business. I mean, podcasting conversations mm. i mean there is so much and it, you can't be the same all the time and there are going to be moments when you're flat yeah and you're like Ugh. and maybe that's not the work maybe that's the other stuff that's going on around you you know mm. that sort of the life shit that gets in the way and that too shall pass life shit life shit <laughs> i've had is... some life shit lately that's funny Right. Everybody. I mean, and everybody does. Right. But sometimes it's hard to forget in an industry where we do, we have to be on all the time, you know, and then at being on top of that, being on on social media now, too. It's like it can be hard to remember. It's OK for you to just have some life shit and <laughs> focus on that being taking care of that for a minute, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the thief of joy. Yes. And we spend a lot of time comparing All ourselves time. to everyone else we see on Insta. And of course, what we don't realize is that's not Insta right now. That was Insta maybe three weeks ago when they filmed it or, you know, whenever it was, it edited True. out and all of that. And that isn't necessarily how they feel, you know? Mm -hmm. I know I get a lot of times I'm looking at all the people that inspire me on Instagram and I'm looking at the videos that they're posting and how... I mean, they're ha hiring professional videographers yeah. and paying models to sit for this service. They're mm -hmm. not 
you know, this isn't a this Tuesday isn't their on the every salon. day. Yeah, <laughs> they filmed on their iPhone on the salon floor. <laughs> so I need to just chill out and continue posting the stuff that I do do. You and... be you. So back before COVID hit, I was doing content days. I used and I I was uh I was the official colorist for Next Management. I got all the models right. All the models were coming in. All the big influencers were coming in, and they would come in. And I would do three and I would align myself with a stylist who wants to do the blow drying stuff. And we would film start to finish on all three models. And then we'd cut that back into IGTV before mm -hmm. it went to reels. And so I very rarely am I posting anything that I'm actually doing in the salon. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be a couple of befores and afters or something, but a lot of it is, you know, pre-planned, pre-thought out. And I think that's where people realize that there's slightly something inauthentic about it at this point. People want a bit more yeah. realness to it. Um, not realness, but realness. <laughs> and um, yeah. it's like everything looks the same to me on Instagram now because everyone's doing the same. Everyone's chasing the number, right? Everyone, mm -hmm. everyone that I seem to follow wants to be at a certain place in life. And what's happened is by everyone chasing the same thing, everything has become so similar that it's very hard to distinguish whose style is what. And there was a point when people used to be able to say, I know that's your work. I know that's you when it comes up. And that was the game. But now everyone's doing exactly the same thing. And so it's become dull. It's uninspiring. Right. And it's like, okay, how does that change? And so you slide over into TikTok, right? And you disappear down a TikTok hole <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's really much more raw over mm -hmm. here. It's really kind of a bit more savage, a bit more harsh, uh, you know, all those things, but actually it's more enjoyable um, because it feels a little bit more true. So everything's going to change. It can't stay the same. If I'm bored, you're probably bored by it. Everyone else is probably bored by it. We need, a dis it's time for a disruption. Mm -hmm. um, and people keep going on about Insta and it's like TikTok is like massive behind us. And who's focusing on, in, on TikTok? And certainly not my generation, super young ones, yes. But that's where we should all be. And we should all be looking for the next thing anyway behind that. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that you said we should be looking for the next thing because my next question is what's next for you? <laughs> well, who knows? I'm, I have actually, I'm going into a busy year which is great. I am doing a tour in the UK with a fantastic hairdresser. I can't, uh, I don't think I'm allowed to say too much about that at the moment, but I'm doing a, I'm doing uh, North of England, South of England, Scotland and Ireland. Um, and it's cool. It's going to be really exciting, which is great. I'm doing a lot of trade shows in the USA. So I'm excited about that as always. I'm off to New Orleans and I've never been there. One of the great things about being in the US is that it's so huge that there are loads of opportunities for me to go places I've never been. And everyone's so welcoming and like, hey, you know, and I can always meet a hairdresser somewhere in this country. Um, so that stuff's going on. I need a plan for my Instagram and TikTok and I don't have one. Um, and I need, I need to get past where I am in my private life and feel the energy that I can have in this moment, but I need to feel that a little bit more. I think in my head, I've said to myself that I'm going to do more lives on TikTok uh, I'm going to, because I'm going to do more lives on Instagram because that's really where it is for me because it's more of a connection. Mm -hmm. um, and who knows? I want to align myself with people and brands that I admire 
Um, but it is definitely different for me. I'm not looking for, um, I'm not looking to have a big clientele anymore. I don't, that's not where I want to be. I want to still do clients. I want to pick and choose who I do. I love podcasting. I love communication. I love beauty panels. I love conversation. Um, I love showcasing what I can do and why I do it and how I see it. Uh, all of that. I want to do a few more events. Um, I like being out and about. I don't want to be locked in, you know? I really admire that you are still behind the chair so frequently and you're just now after three decades thinking about, Oh, well maybe I should, I can step away from the chair a little bit more. So stepping away from the chair only happened, um, at COVID because before then I had a global role. So if I wasn't in the salon, I was on the road and I was doing four days a week in the salon um or five wow and then covid came and of course we all had to work on shifts Mm -hmm. um so i'm like in my 50s at this point right so i'm still working saturdays and when my husband said okay we we are going back to america and i'm like okay i didn't know whether i'd like it or not i didn't know whether i wanted to but i knew that i wanted to support him as he'd supported me so i said okay we can do this and that's when i gave up saturdays so i've only given up saturdays um two and a half years ago uh, because Saturdays was like the go-to, right? Saturdays was mm-hmm. it's my favorite day. Yeah. Favorite day. So I gave up Saturdays and then I was like starting in a new salon. I don't want to do five days a week. I do three days a week. I'm doing two now. I should probably do three because I've got too much time on my hands. I'm spending too much time in the gym. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, I need to find my pace, but it's, it's a slightly different priority for me. But if I'm not behind the chair, how can I? have these conversations with you? How can I have these conversations on stage in a classroom? How can I be real and mm. talk about what I see? Because the women that are coming to me are coming, are the, coming with the same problems that are going to other hairdressers around the country um, and asking for the same kind of things, right? So it keeps me, it keeps my hand in, it keeps me current, I'm using all the new products. I don't just want to pick out pretty local girls and do them in a studio and just be talking about something that might not even be real because it takes me back to when I started education and it takes me back to that whole point about that's inauthentic. I am a commercial hairdresser. That's what I can talk about. So there you go. That I literally have goosebumps. (laughs) We've had that conversation so many many times of so many times we've had that conversation. As a stylist, when you go to a class, you talked about it on that episode I was listening to today, driving here, is you can tell a difference when someone is like a rep, you're a marketer, or they're a hairdresser and they're talking about a product. Like, and you see that with brand reps all the time. And then it's as a stylist who is in the trenches, so to speak, and is behind the chair, it's like, you're like, but are you just trying to sell me something? You can't speak to them. The That's same. Instagram as well, right? Instagram's become totally. an advertiser's dream because mm-hmm. all the hairdressers, whenever they're using a product, it's a paid partnership. Whether or not mm-hmm. it says it on there, they've probably been given it, paid it, or whatever. And so where's where's the reality of it? Is it true mm-hmm. or is it is it not? And I think everything's become a bit blurred again. Um, but you know, we'll we'll work it out. We always work it out. We, this industry is about innovation. We are huh. always at the forefront of it somewhere, and we will, we've got this. I love it. 
All right, Jack, tell me, where can the people find you? Okay, so it's Jack Howard Color. It's C-O-L-O-R. It's the American way because that's the way the rest of the world spells it, not the British way. Jack Howard <laughs> Color, my podcast, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, Jack Howard and Friends is free education on there. There are about 70 videos on there that people can just tune into and watch for okay. free. All you have to do is sign up. Um, I am going to do more work with that eventually, but at the moment I'm not. And then where else can you find me? You can find me. That's it. I don't have an OnlyFans. I am a content creator, but not that kind. <laughs> not the spicy kind. Not the spicy kind. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's where you can find me. Well, if you want to find us on social media, I'm Herrick Hunter on all the things. I'm Erica the Redhead on all the things. And our podcast is Break Room Banter Pod on all the things. We also have a Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Break Room Banter Pod if you want to find additional ways to support us. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcast. And until next time, remember, you always have a seat at our table. Bye. Bye.